Welcome back to the third installment of the four-part interview of Building Businesses and Investing in Real Estate featuring Jason Mattern. Let's go! Welcome to the Russell Westcott Podcast, helping real estate investors like you acquire the inspiration, knowledge, and skills that you need to start, grow, and scale the real estate investing portfolio of your dreams. All right, welcome back, everybody, here with my good friend, Jason Mattern. Jay, so obviously we're, we're going to have a conversation about resiliency and some challenging, some, some challenging times and things like that. We're here, most of our properties are in Alberta. And, uh, you know, there's some people that are bumping up against a few things, right? Mm-hmm. It's funny, I can't go, I was just on a Facebook forum the other day and this one fellow is just jumping in and he was staring about, you know, portfolios upside down, over leveraged, built a big giant portfolio and what do I do, right? That's a, that's a real scenario. There's mm-hmm. a, a lot of people bumping up against mm-hmm. that. You've been very helpful to me about two, two and a half years ago, probably a little longer than that of getting something in place. You dealt with something like that probably about six, seven years ago, right? The first downturn yep. in the marketplace. 2008 and nine. 2008 and nine. And a lot of people should have dealt with it in 2008 and nine, yeah. like myself, yeah. but just kept it going and just didn't deal with it back then. What's some of your advice? I know the advice you gave me, but what's some of the advice that you give to somebody if they're, they're bumping up against a little bit of a challenging portfolio at the moment and uh, those kind of things like that? Okay. Well, I think that is a very real circumstance for us. I too see it. Uh, you know, a lot of the questions, uh, you know, a lot of it is probably still from that last downturn, mm-hmm. right? Uh, people have buying real estate back in 06 and 07 at a, at a high and not being able to unload it. And, you know, the tenancy in the property itself gets in a situation where it costs money and you may or may not have the money and the ability to take care of it, right? But I think, you know, kind of circling back on previous advices, you have to know where you're at. That's mm-hmm. step one in my mind, yeah. if I'm sitting there in that situation. Yeah. And you gave me, the advice you gave me was, and to tell yourself the truth. Like there was a lot of people that, when you're taking a look at what the numbers were, were, we're not fudging it, but you wanted to make it look better than it was. And that's one of the advice you said is tell the brutal truth about what it is. It is what it is. Don't sugarcoat it. Don't make it worse. Don't make it better. Just tell the best. Tell what it is. That's the only way you're going to move past it, right? If you're not real with yourself and your partner and your family, you know, because as we all know, this will trickle into your family if you let it. Yeah. Right. And, uh, you know, the decisions that we make in real estate and everything we're doing they have big consequence. They there's big risk. There's big reward, mm-hmm. right? And it's up to you to know that. So yeah, step one is is be real with yourself. And you know what? I I think I I keep hitting the mic here. No so worries. yeah, uh, did you just waking everybody up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you it's know, clear. <laughs> I had to fight through that myself. Yeah. You know, because I was ashamed. I don't know how else to say it. I thought I I let people down. It was only myself at that time that I'd let down. Yeah. But, you know, to have that conversation with my wife and saying, look, at, you know, we got to sell some stuff. We've really went hard in, you know, in the, in the, in the equity drunk times of 06, 07. Yeah. We really, really leveraged. And I'm very thankful I'd done that because, you know, it got us out from underneath, which you know, as we all know, the market did not improve and really has not improved. It's been almost a lost decade. I no way if there was a little bit of a a little dip and a little run in between and things like that, but it's been really almost a decade. Yeah. Like some of those places we bought 10 years ago have not come back to where they were what we bought 10 years ago. Yeah. And it's real. It's real life. Guys, if you think your market only goes up in value and that's it, that 
I hope you never ever, I'm gonna look right here as close as I can, I hope you never ever have to deal with it. But it's a reality. It's a reality. And I think owning properties through good times and bad times is a reality too. You know, and I still own properties today that I paid more than what they're worth today. Mm -hmm. I'm still paying them off. Where I got caught is I got caught with renovation tabs of tenants. Got to remember when the market downturns, it just doesn't downturn for you. It downturns for everyone. Right. And there's a ripple effect from that. So if tenants lose their job and they leave, you know, I was in a situation where I had tenants for three, four, five, six years. I bought mm-hmm. properties with tenants in them. Yeah. And all of a sudden, the downturn, tenants left. Yeah. And the, the tenants never leave the really good, pristine places that could be rented tomorrow. They never leave those ones, right? They never do. <laughs> and as you can imagine where I'm going with this, yeah. what happens in order to re-rent it, you have mm-hmm. to throw five, ten, fifteen, twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars at these things. Yeah. That's where I got caught. Yep. You know, and it just was a dead end street and I, I, I cut my losses and I think that's probably something else that, you know, I, you know, you have to be prepared to walk away. If you're not willing to walk away and stand your ground for something that you believe in, you're just willing to accept whatever someone's yep. doling out at you. Yep. And you, you have to be able to walk away and cut your losses and forget about it and move on. Yeah, sometimes it's, the first loss is the best loss to, and to move on from that. Sometimes, right? Well, it's the hardest lesson, I it's, think. It's right? the hardest one to accept. Yes. Yeah. And, it, and it, some of it's just ego. That's really jumping in there as well. You said something to me, and I, I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but you shared a quote with me that was a, kind of a, a little bit of a rallying cry for me whenever... When it was a little, when it was getting a little dark and, and things like that, and uh, I'll help you with the quote because I remember very well. But I wonder if you still remember that quote that you kind of that you shared with me back in that time when you're helping me through. I'm sure there was several uh, quotes. It had something to do with on the other side. That's right. Y- yeah. Your 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 destiny's on the other side. You're yeah. in preparation now for your destiny. Yeah. There's, right. there's something great waiting for you on the other side of this challenge, and you just have to prove that you can pass it. You have to pass the test. Yes. Right? And I think that's my mother speaking on my shoulder right now yeah. of, you know, that sometimes you get doled out things in life that, you know, you look at them and you think, holy cow, how are you ever going to get this? But mm-hmm. you got to understand, I guess, if, you know, it, it's a test. I don't know how else to say it. I guess I'm I'm a, not a religious guy, but I'm a faithful guy. Yeah. And uh you know, understanding that perhaps our paths are laid out there for us already. And you're not, it, it's just, you know, the way I operate with my kids, I'm not going to give them more unless they can prove to me they're good with what they have, you know? Right. Yeah. So yeah, I, I remember that. And I, I, I think I remember where I told that to you. Yeah. It was in Tim Hortons. And, Tim Hortons uh, parking lot in Northeast Edmonton. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that's where we have our really high end meetings. Yeah. 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 And then, you know, it's, it's there were some tears and there was some really, you could see I was, you know, I was defeated, right? And then your point earlier about don't take your foot off the gas, took my foot off the gas for quite a while, actually. And confidence is one of those things is it's tough to get back. It's easy to lose, tough to get back, right? It's so, hard. Yeah. It's super hard. Yeah. 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 But and, look at you today, Russ. Oh, well, yeah. If you look at me, just the yeah. specimen of <laughs> of oozing confidence. Yeah. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm actually just, I'm just getting started with, yeah. with getting into my, my realm as well uh, yeah. with things. But you're real. Yeah. You are 100% real. And not that you weren't before, mm-hmm. but there was this little thing off to the side yeah. that you didn't deal with. Yeah. And, and you talked about a, a thing of shame, like talking about feeling shame. I, I 100%. I, man, I was. I had an ego attached to being a guy on stage and I'm the one teaching this is uh, the guy teaching this shouldn't go through this stuff. And so I, I actually downplayed it. I hit it. I didn't tell anybody about it. And then until it gets to a point where I'm sitting there crying myself to sleep on a giant pillow yeah. at night because, you know, things are not what they seem. 
Nope. Right. And I think now looking past that, and I remember one of the first public speaking events you did after that, mm-hmm. you know, when you actually told your story and mm-hmm. you stood up there and you told the audience everything real, what had yeah. transpired, and you could hear a freaking pin drop in that room. And I think people were welling up with tears in the room listening to it. And you were very emotional with it. You did a great job holding yourself together, yeah. right? But, you know, I think people just, they, they didn't listen to you, Russ. They felt it off you completely, yeah. Yeah. right? Well, it's no different than most people were already probably feeling. And it's just being authentic to, and just being mindful of how most people were feeling. If you think you're going to go through life and not make a mistake, you're probably not my type of people. Like, yeah. I mean, I well, know you're not cut out for real estate. <laughs> you're not cut out for real estate either. Yeah. I mean, you just need to be real and we're going to make mistakes. We're going to have hard times. We're going to have bad times. And you know what? At the end of the day, we'll sit around and have a beer and talk about it yep. because this is what's most important, right? Yep. And if you really think about it, so you dealt with yours you know, probably about five or six years before I dealt with it. So it was really good to have you as a resource that I could come talk to. You know, and I coined mine, the, the good, the bad, and the ugly plan. Sometimes you had, to, you had to actually sell a few good properties to free up enough money so you could actually get rid of some of the really ugly properties. Mm-hmm. And then hopefully after you're all said and done, you're left with a couple places left over, yep. right? What was the biggest benefit out of when you went through your challenging time in resiliency, you actually discovered entire new business models from there. What was the biggest benefit that you came out of going through all that entire process? I think anytime you're pushed back into a corner like that, mm-hmm. you, you know, speaking of resiliency, you start thinking outside the box. Yeah. You, if you're complacent and things are going not well, or if you're complacent and they are going well, you're not innovating. And I think that's probably the biggest lesson that happened to our benefit and lesson that I learned is A, real estate markets don't (laughs) swing overnight, right? (laughs) They move in cycles, no doubt about it. But there are key indicators that you can absolutely watch and keep an eye out to know when the market is trending either way or still or whatever, Mm -hmm. right? And the second uh, thing I learned with that is don't get complacent, right? Mm-hmm. There's there's always something better. The The world's not sitting still. No one is sitting still. This is a very competitive environment. Yep. And you have to be, you know, as I alluded to earlier, not taking your foot off the throttle. That might mean actually going through the websites and looking at ads and ideas. That might mean looking at new video ideas. That mm-hmm. might, that's all encompassing. Don't take your foot off the throttle. You're always getting better and uh, it's never going to quit. I think if if you want to stop getting better and you're tired of it, you know, get out of the game. It's okay. That's okay too. I've seen a lot of people that have really succeeded and, you know, whether they lose their desire or ambition to do it or they're just plain satisfied, it's okay to walk away too Mm -hmm. if you got what you want. Congratulations, right? I hope I can feel that someday, right? Now... Speaking, of, you you mentioned a term called innovation, and and um, I'm not saying you're the pioneer with this whole realm of new construction for rental properties and things like that, but I think you really have taken it up to the next level. It's interesting to see how many people are now talking about new construction properties, and you've been you've been advocating these for better part of six seven years now. Talk to me about the process that you came to realization how you discovered the joys and benefits of owning a brand new construction property. It happened by accident. It yeah. literally, like most things in life, <laughs> it literally happened by accident. Yeah. Uh, if you remember back in 2003, mm-hmm. I had bought some lots yep. in Fort Saskatchewan. Okay, yes. And uh, I bought eight duplex lots and started building duplexes. Mm-hmm. I didn't know, I knew I wanted to, I didn't know how. Yep. And, you know, we did. 
And uh, the first two units, the, the idea to do it, by the way, just to clarify, was to flip them, mm-hmm. right? I was going to build them. I looked at the profit yep. margin I could make. I was going to flip them. Well, I couldn't sell them, <laughs> right? The first two come to fruition and I couldn't sell them. And of course, the bank wants their money every month. So yes, unfortunately, <laughs> that's right. And this is where I actually bounced into a tenant situation with yep. new construction, which was fantastic, which was better than what I had, because yeah. at that point in time, I had some older suited properties, you know, a, a couple small multifamily buildings, and mm-hmm. I was chasing the, the cash flow perspective of the pro forma. And then what happened is I had the tenants in the property for a year and two, yeah. a, and these people are still with me. It's like, yeah. wow. And you're looking at the numbers and the black and white truth about the ownership experience. That's right. Yeah. And it just made sense. My repairs and maintenance just like... Was literally nothing. That's a technical term for good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did nothing, you know. And uh, the the tenants were still with me. Yeah. So going back to those three variables that we originally talked about, repairs yeah. and maintenance, vacancy, and management costs, yeah. all three of them were literally... Non-existent. Non-existent. Yeah. And that cash flow, you know, computed into mortgage principal pay down. Yeah. Right? And then you actually then took it even another step forward into how you like to design and the materials you use. And because quite frankly, you can actually put way too much into materials and way over renovate it and build it and stuff like that. Or you can kind of find the sweet spot of things. And you've been through seven years of kind of fine tuning the, the spec, if you will. Talk about some of the things that you've learned along the way about the proper spec to have into a, a good brand new construction rental property. Well, even that's 2003 and four, So that's like scraping like 13, 14 yeah, years right. now, right? Of the new construction. And then what happens over a time period is you realize just by experience mm-hmm. of what tenants like, what they don't like, what the sweet spot is of having three bedrooms, two and a half bath, mm-hmm. upper floor laundry facilities. Mm-hmm. That means a lot to the mom th- yeah. that's going to be renting the property for her family, mm-hmm. right? And, uh, you know, getting into the specifications, it was just literally probably analyzing the property and looking at it. Okay, yeah. I bought a new construction property that I made, but I made the decks out of treated lumber. Yeah. I made the fence out of treated lumber. Mm-hmm. The front step was out of treated lumber that was painted. Mm-hmm. I had drop down light fixtures. I didn't put washers in behind, uh, you know, uh, passage doors, just little things, right? Yeah. That become maintenance issues, yeah. right? And just like, okay, well, how can we make this better? How can we make this better? How can we, well, this tenant wants this, this tenant wants this, you know? And then it's just come in full circle now to where we can design this stuff from scratch. And it not only makes sense from a tenancy, but they're really easy to own and there's not a lot of maintenance to them. Yeah. So example, composite decking material, aluminum railing, you know, recessed pot lights, just things that one probably wouldn't think of walking through a property until your tenant knocks out the light fixture. Or... Yeah. And the time to do all that is actually really at design phase and at pre-build as opposed to after the fact type of stuff. It's amazing. And, you know, you talk about recessed pot lighting, you can go into places bought in the 70s and 80s and there's no lighting at all and you know you gotta have lamps and every there's there's very little lighting in there in a lot of properties as well so it's just really just taking the feedback and looking at it from uh as an investor yourself of buying that right well specification wise yeah. yes so the investor side what i just talked about is actually owning the property yeah. right and then you know on the front side of it the acquisition side there's a happy medium between maximum rent and overbuilding it, if that makes sense. And you have to find, you know, the sweet spot of what you can get the most rent for. Mm -hmm. 
and build it the most efficiently. Not cheap isn't the right word. Yeah. It's efficient. And there's a size that goes with that and a floor plan and a lot, right? Yeah. And you've just, uh, you know, you've just almost got it down to like a, a science now about about the, when you go and you pick out, you like to see the, the a certain lot size, a certain floor plan, and which you actually work with builders. You essentially say, here's the floor plan, here's the design. These are investment grade properties that I want you to build. And share some of those insights that you have. Like I know when you tell me about here in Edmonton, the, the, a lot is determined by the, the frontage of the, of the property, right? And you only like a certain pocket size. And you're just like, when you get going, I go, man, I just like, it's, it's like my eyes glaze over. It's like I've had too many, uh, too many Bud Light or something. Yeah, well, that can happen too. <laughs> but you know what? It, it again boils down to getting that maximum rent. So I know even taking it one step further, I know the tenant profile that I absolutely yeah. love, right? And that's a mom and dad, a small child or two. Dad works in the oil field or service industry, makes 120 to 150 a year. Mom's a stay-at-home mom and drives a two-year-old SUV. And, uh, you know, that's the tenant profile that I chase. I catch these people right before they engage on home ownership, right? And they would buy a home themselves and they tried, but they don't have the 5% or a mom and dad to lend it to them. Mm -hmm. Or B, that new three-quarter ton diesel truck sitting in the driveway, that darn payment's getting in the road for another three and a half years. So they end up renting something. Mm -hmm. That's the tenant profile. You know, so I know what I can get for rent from those people as far as a maximum rent of what they can afford. Everything is reverse engineered from there. And just getting into the property details, it's a 1,500 square foot two-story house, perhaps with a legal basement suite or perhaps a side-by-side duplex, three bedroom, two and a half bath, laundry facilities on the upper floor. Mm -hmm. In certain areas and in, in this hand-selected areas in, within the area and town and things like that too. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, so they have to be in areas that people want to be, that tenants want to be. So they're close to schools, they're close to recreation facilities, they're close to major shopping, coffee mm -hmm. shops, right? Yep. Who doesn't like a Timmy's or a Starbucks close by, yep. close to grocery stores, shoppers, drug mart, all that sort of stuff. And close to transportation. You've got to remember our yep. tenant profile or my tenant profile, most of them drive trucks. Hmm. Most of them work in and around the area. They need to yep. be close to transportation, yep. which for the most part puts me around for those of you who are familiar with the Anthony Hendy Freeway, yeah. right? Now, I hope you guys are you really get how clear Jason is on his tenant profile. You you start your purchase decision based upon who you want to rent to, who yep. your customer is. Then you, you know, it's what you buy, where you buy, and who you put in it. The three pillars of real estate. That's your, you know, I don't know if it's trademarked. You should have trademarked it, by the way, as I see a lot of people using that now, including myself, right? Yep. But who you rent to is the most important of that. But then where you buy it and what you buy is actually dependent upon who you rent to. So if they all enter, they're like a Venn diagram where they all meet together. Step three is yep. the most important and you can't do step three correctly unless you do steps one and two, right? Is yep. buy the right property in the right neighborhood, right? Yep. But you didn't, and I know for a fact, I didn't, when I first started, I didn't look at, I didn't even know who my tenant profile was. Is it cheap? And does it cash flow on a pro forma basis, uh, which is kind of a BS number anyways, right? It's a snapshot, yeah. you know, it's a snapshot, right? It's it's not uh, probably real yeah. long-term, yeah. right? So what are some of the, and we talked about this a little while ago, what are some of the biggest mistakes that you see investors are making right now when they're coming into, and you talk to investors all the time, you're probably having conversations every day with investors and helping them out with things. So with 2,200 transactions under your belt, you probably have, and times have changed massively. Alberta is not the same as it was 
a decade ago. Um, what are some of the big mistakes investors are making that you see coming through, and how can they how can they mitigate that those mistakes? They're pro forma shopping, mm. if that makes sense. You know, if you're not an investor and you don't have the experience, it's just like when you're going to buy a commodity or an appliance or a car, you might be lining up specifications mm. and horsepower and all that sort of stuff. You don't like the car, the appliance, you go and trade it in. It's not quite that easy with real estate, yeah. right? And real estate has other, uh, not variables, but goals tied to it of mm -hmm. why you're buying it. You're not buying it to drive down the freeway and show off to your buddies, maybe, right? Yeah. But I see a lot of people that look at properties out there that show a great cash flow on paper. Mm -hmm. But when we talked about getting the keys handed to you on yeah. closing day, it's a completely different story, yeah. right? And I see people buying properties without a proven track record, right? So if you know this property or is a new development or it's in the city of Edmonton for possible approval, that's a good thing. That's mm -hmm. innovation. That's mm -hmm. never going to mm -hmm. happen. But until you can actually run one of those through a process of buying it and leasing mm -hmm. it to a client, finding out what the profile is, who yeah. is it, and what are they going to pay for it, and how long are they going to stay, I'll give you a case and example. The city of Edmonton is talking about introducing side-by-side -side duplexes with suites in them. Mm -hmm. Right now, I am not a fan of that. I might be. I'm going to try one, mm -hmm. right, and see how that works out. But you're also, you live here, and you're also going to manage it with your proven process of managing it too, right? Not everybody has 18 years of experience and also all the systems and process in place. Yeah. Someone could be, this could be their first transaction ever. Right. right. But my point is, yeah. is that if I show you a pro forma on this brand new property that mm -hmm. looks like $1,200 a month cash flow, mm -hmm. well, there's a big gap between $1,200 a month cash flow and getting the keys handed to you. What if you buy it and there's too much density? What happens if no one rents the basement suites? Mm -hmm. If no one rents your basement suites, you're going to be in a negative cash flow situation. Yeah. Right. And this is where you do the flip side to it. You maybe don't take a property that cash flows as good but it just goes every month, every month. Remember, every time a tenant leaves, it costs you money. Yes. People don't think of that. That's your biggest cost is a tenant leave. You got to fix it up, perhaps. You got to clean it. You got to remarket it. You got to show it. Mm -hmm. You might have to sit on a vacant property for a month or two. Mm -hmm. Like there's yeah, substantial costs tied to it. You walked us through one of your side-by-sides that was the tenant had just left. Yeah. How long were they there? They were, was it five years or was yeah. it just, it was five years. Five years. And... It was immaculate. And, you know, people might say, well, you just got lucky. You got really good tenants. Well, the property that you had dictated the type of tenant. And truly, there was, what did you have to do to turn it over? Clean so, it. You had to clean it. Clean it. And we turned it over within a week. It within was, a week. Uh, and it, uh, we literally uh, had zero downtime uh, on it, right? So during a time where people were really, are really been struggling to fill some vacancies, uh, what has been your issue have, or what is, have you had issues with vacancies during some slow, some of the times? Uh, this last while, no, we haven't, honestly, mm -hmm. we just, uh, had another turnover in a, in a side-by-side -side duplex and, uh, the tenants were moving out. The new tenants were moving in the next day. Mm -hmm. Now that does, that happens by design. I guess I can say somewhat, yep. you know, you, you know, and we start showing our properties, you know, a month or two in advance yep. when we know a tenant's leaving. Yep. And the tenants are cooperative. They're a family, Russ. They're not staff taking care of our assets. Yep. Like we literally get these people good Christmas presents every year. We keep in touch with them. We know mm -hmm. when their kids' birthdays are. I mean, 
it's uh, along with that, there's a relationship yep. and there's a mutual respect and they take care of the, you've seen how they take care of the properties. Yep. It's, well, let's put it this way. They're, they're, they're in the half, you know, some cases, 400 half million dollar assets. Right. And they're paying you, your average rent is what, 1800 Probably 1800 Probably $1,800. $1,800. for a rough number, two grand. So $2,200, $2,400, a year. Yeah. That's a pretty good customer. That's a good customer. Right. Yeah. And you said earlier that, you know, from your dad being in the service gas station and you learned a lot of lessons in the car washes that your dad had and the, and the, the gas stations. I remember the one story you, you shared with me. Oh, tell the story about when you would go to collect the coins from the car washes. Remember uh, that? Oh, which one? On, on top of the... No, in the back of the car when you had all the coins in the back oh, of the car. Oh, <laughs> literally having, you know, five... In, in those days, it was quarters, right? Yeah. And, you know, literally having five-gallon pails of quarters that would bring home and would roll up in a machine. Yeah. Right? And yeah. I was the kid when uh, growing up that I needed a new pair of blue jeans. My dad had flipped me four rolls of quarters to go down to the store and buy it. Right? Yeah. Here, here's Jason down there. Rolling. Here's his rolls of quarters. Yeah. <laughs> Did you have to do the rolling yourself? I helped. Yeah, yeah, I helped. And then, you know, we got high tech and got a fancy machine for it. But but you would have learned a lot of customer service from having a bricks and mortar service business through with your dad. The things. I grew up, I from my earliest memories, I grew up pumping gas and washing windows and you know, washing car wash bays and bopping the floor in the laundromats. And that was my mom and dad's businesses was gas stations, car washes and laundromats, yeah. right? And you've taken that attitude to your, as being a, a property owner and a, and a landlord really is, is doing a lot of the treating the, the people coming through, coming, someone coming through for gas. How can I, can I check your oil? Can I look at, you know, can I wash your windshield? All those kind of things. You just treat the same, the exact same attitude. The customer's always right. Yeah. Right. And you know, the tenants are your customer too. Yeah. You know, and there's times, Russ, where I, I grit and I say, you know what, you did it. Yeah. You know, I know you did it, right? Yeah. But, you know, I also want a good relationship with these people. And I want them, if there's repairs or maintenance, I do want them to call me. Mm-hmm. I don't want them not to handle it. Yeah. If they did it or not, that's a completely different issue. But yeah. my point is, as the owner and the guy that's taking care of that building envelope, I want it running efficiently. And if I know that there's a water leak, that could cause future damage and get under flooring or whatever else. I want to nip it in the butt. I want yep. them to phone me right away. Yeah, it, not not knowing is worse than them actually being a pain in, you know, over telling you about properties, uh, issues, right? Deal with it. Yeah, you, you shared a really cool story and it's actually a cool story that has two threads. That one is the benefit of new construction and also the length you go to um, to make sure that the tenant is well. It was one of the tenants that uh, it was in Fort Saskatchewan, I believe, and they were uh, over above the garage and there was maybe a lack of in- insulation on the bedroom there and they were mm-hmm. complaining it was cold. Mm-hmm. And uh, tell, that, tell that story about that. Well, it was a covered deck and yeah. the bedroom was above the covered deck and we, you know, they had a newborn baby and yeah. they were complaining that it was cold in that room. And, uh, you know, we had to take all the soffit down and re-insulate it mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, just make it right. Yeah. You know? But then the builder, that was a deficiency or something. It was, was a it? deficiency and we went back to the builder and, and they actually covered it, yeah. you know, so having that warranty aspect mm-hmm. and that service provider that you wouldn't otherwise have on any of my older stuff, yep. that happens in any of my older stuff, it's yep. it's my tab. It's 3000 bucks out of your pocket. Right. Out of Hip National Bank. Out of, yeah, yep. <laughs> out of, instead of having filet mignon, you're now having, you're now having a different cut of steak tonight. Pork chops. <laughs> pork chops. Yeah, pork chops. <laughs>
Hey, hey, hey. I sure hope you enjoyed this episode. The next segment in this interview series will be dropping shortly. Make sure you are subscribed to not miss a single episode. And remember, in every interaction you have with another person, always leave them feeling inspired, encouraged, and always come from a place of love. Bye for now, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Russell Westcott Podcast. Before you run off, could you do us one final favor? Wherever you're listening to this episode, we encourage you to leave a review, share with your friends, and subscribe so you can receive the latest episode to keep you feeling inspired and encouraged for the entire week. Visit www.russellwestcott.com for more information, support resources, and upcoming speaking engagements near you. Bye for now. Bye for now.